If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You ready, Ben? Ready, as I'll ever be. Hey folks, welcome. It's the Unsung Podcast. I'm Mark. That is Christopher. Say hi, Christopher. Hi, yeah. And this week we're joined. <laughs> who are we joined by, Chris? We're joined by Benjamin John Power, aka Blank Mass. Right there. <laughs> it's me, Benjamin John Power, aka Blank Mass. Vaping and slugging. Vaping and slugging. You gotta you gotta do something. And Sarah Jane, uh, very quietly in the background, Sarah Jane shout into the, 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 the open air. Hi. Ben's chauffeur for the podcast. <laughs> ben, Ben's chauffeur full stop. <laughs> Yeah, Ben. Thanks, man. That's uh, quite thanks a, for that's quite uh, right. suggesting one of the most mental bands we've ever covered. Coincidentally, on the day that I'm the most hungover that I think I've been in. Yeah, join the club. <laughs> yeah, uh, bit of karaoke last night, Mark. Yeah, fortieth uh, party. Well, not mine. Um, <laughs> that's long gone. Fortieth <laughs> uh, birthday party, karaoke, bit yeah. of Kate Bush. Um, I heard. Um, but I say heard. I mean, I heard it from my flat. Yeah. <laughs> 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 so Dave Weaver filmed me doing Kate Bush and then uh, this morning when I thought I didn't feel bad enough already uh, <laughs> arrived in a text um, so yeah thanks for that Dave um, a dagger through a hungover heart right there <laughs> <isn't> exactly. <laughs> you already have the regret of like oh no what did I do last night uh, like, well you certainly did it yeah I mean I went for it <laughs> yeah. I, I think if I hadn't been 
inebriated, I probably wouldn't have gone for it. Yeah, you have to go for it with that song, man. Yeah. You can't not go for it. No is, isn't it, like, extremely adventurous to go straight in for Kate Bush right there? <laughs> Wuthering Heights. Well, yeah. Oh, come on, man. Like, so, the secret you, you didn't think, like, Journey or something <laughs> first. You, you just went harder. straight in. With, really? I think so, yeah. It's harder? Well, see, the thing with Kate Bush, right, it's falsetto. So it's fun. It's silly. It, the thing with karaoke is it's not about being good. It's about being enthusiastic. And it is. But... If somebody's good at karaoke, they're doing Kate Bush first. Right. Oh, well, I'm neither. Well, no, I, 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 I'm, <laughs> okay. sorry, I wasn't. Uh, yeah. No, I'm one of those. Anyway, there's going to be a lot of mistakes. In, in my, <laughs> well, luckily, yeah. I edit this podcast so I can fix all my mistakes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, out of curiosity, what would have been your first karaoke track? Um, You've had a few. Oh, well, Sham 69. Oh, hurry up. Harry? Yeah. Yeah, fucking hell, I've seen where that goes with you <laughs> Careful now <laughs> <laughs> if It's levels of drunkness Like if I was really inebriated It would definitely be a bit of a hell But meatloaf Yeah <laughs> Just to be a complete ass of myself for nine minutes solid. And the advantage is <laughs> I think I'm right in saying That you wouldn't need the screen for that one you No could, And that's that's When you're doing a karaoke song And you literally don't need the, the, the prompts either It's brilliant Because you mm-hmm. can really go for the performance Paradise by the Dashboard Light would be Yeah, that would be good Yeah You could do Wanted Dead or Alive Mm-hmm. Are, you a bit, are you a big meatloaf guy, Mark? My dad was a meatloaf farmer when I was yeah. growing up, so I just it's, it's just there in my head at all times. <laughs> Looming large, like a big Republican fanny that he is, was. <laughs> I, I mean, honestly, though, I've said it before in the show, his, his biography is fucking brilliant. Yeah. Absolutely brilliant book. 17 concussions the guy got. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uses what? it to divide up the chapters in the book. And he gave Charles Manson a lift. Like, Where? Um, he was driving through the desert on the way I think it was a job interview or a, or a gig in mm-hmm. some kind of theatre thing and there was a guy hitching and he was like alright jump in and they talked about the Beatles for a while but then he said the guy got pretty intense then randomly got him to pull over and fucked off straight into the desert and it was only a few months later that he uh, saw the same guy in the papers and it was Charles Manson that's wow. pretty cool okay yeah. uh, the, right, so we can blame Meatloaf then is that what you're saying I don't know if we can blame Meatloaf. I'd we can hold him <laughs> somewhat responsible. I'd, I'd, I mean, it would have been great if we'd seen him crawling along the road in the way at the courthouse uh, when, when Charlie was going for trial. Uh, it's a really good book, though. Whatever you think about Meatloaf, that book is excellent. Um, Sarah Jane, can you shout out what your karaoke go-to song would have been? Yes, yeah, it's, it's Poison, Alice Cooper. That's oh, because I can't sing, though. So I've good... got to go for someone else that can't sing. <laughs> that's a good you try, choice. You're trying to say that Alice Cooper can't sing. That's that's one with a lot of attitude to it. Someone, um, yeah. a, a friend of mine called Howie Reeve, a, a musician, really lovely guy, uh, did Word Up by Gun last night, and it was so good that, that good. loads of us didn't even realise the karaoke had started. It, it, <laughs> honestly, we were like looking around the corner, you done that, he did like that, and it was perfect, like absolutely perfect. Was, was he like, wearing? Was he wearing his codpiece? He might have been. <laughs> I mean, he was wearing trousers, so <laughs> I don't know what was going on under there. I think there's like a 50% chance that the guy who sings for Gun lives nearby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the yeah, I mean, they, they had the practice studio in the East End. Oh, we're a bit off topic already, <laughs> but um, nice guys, apparently, yeah. Cool. Still milking it. Still going. <laughs> Different singer, though. Different singer. Uh, did they not get the guy from Stiltskin into the band? I think they fucking did, by the way. Yeah. I think you're right. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> we should have had that in the Supergroup episode. <laughs> really? <laughs> that seems a little desperate. 
For yeah. who? <laughs> <laughs> but they didn't already seem a little dead. Okay, yeah, fair. Yeah. Um, right, Ben, the album you have selected for this episode of the show, tell us. Which one did I choose in the end? <laughs> Bro- <laughs> Broken Ear record, I think. Broken right? Ear yes, record. That is correct. Uh-huh. By the band Black Dice. Um, But there was a bit of jubiety because you were thinking about doing beaches and canyons. But let me just clarify here. I think the the dilemma was that Broken Ear Record is overlooked in their catalogue, whereas I suggested that the band themselves are somewhat overlooked and therefore beaches and canyons would have been fine in the kind of the same sense as we did the downward spiral. Yeah. You know, it's it's big amongst their fans, but is it big enough? Blah, blah, blah. But... What was your thinking? I think you're absolutely right. You know, the the band are overlooked full stop, you know. But I I, I feel like the the choice with Broken Ear Record was because I feel like that's when they took a very dramatic shift in their sonic palette. And uh, I I, I feel like that's like quite a pivotal moment for them as a band. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, they've done a number of shifts. I think that's something yeah. that really uh, well, they are, defines a band, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I, I feel like the level that they shift is something that's so interesting about the band anyway, mm-hmm. in the first instance. But I, I feel like this was such a dramatic one. I feel like this was probably the right album to choose for today. So I've got a question to get us started here. Mm-hmm. What is music? Yeah, I was actually going to go with another question. But Jesus Christ, Chris. <laughs> fuck me, man. I think... What is music? I think that's a bit too broad. <laughs> <laughs> what is this music? <laughs> what, what is a podcast? Is, it, is this music? Um, it is music. It, I mean, it is music, sorry. I, I'm being yes, needless. It has, it has notes in it. <laughs> played I by think musicians. It's, so. it's really interesting to kind of unpack where music stops being conventionally music and you know our various perceptions on it because what, what I would suggest is I know for a fact Ben that you've got a much higher tolerance for really difficult music or for stuff that I think really stretches the definitions of it and probably most like you're, you're definitely going to be in like the top percentile of like tolerance for like extreme sound and the ability to still refer to it as music. I did a wee bit of looking into that, actually, because I was quite curious about contextualising that, especially stuff like experimental and avant-garde, and, you know, is there a distinction? And it turns out there is actually quite a big distinction. Um, My favourite quote that I found was by Victor Hugo, and he'd said that uh, music expresses that which cannot be put into words and that which cannot remain silent. A lot of people said that thing about, oh, expresses that that cannot be put into words, but I like the fact he added that bit about, but it's also something that can't remain unsaid. It has to be expressed by whoever's expressing it, and this is the only form they can find, you know, to to exercise it. Um, Avant-garde and experimental, uh, I'm not sure which one of these this band is. Um, I mean, avant-garde, I guess, suggests ahead of the guard as in the guard are going to follow and I think something that's quite interesting about the use of that term and I saw this written uh, in a number of places that um, it often isn't the case like avant-garde doesn't dictate what comes after it 
quite often some of this stuff is so extreme that it's actually just it's, it's more more appropriate to call it experimental. But um, avant-garde music is apparently technically distinguished from experimental music by the way it adopts an extreme position within a certain tradition, uh, whereas experimental music lies outside the tradition, apparently. Um, the term may also be used to refer to any modernist music characterised by the rejection of tonality. Um, I think, to a large measure, this band do that. Um, I mean, I think they, they, they lie within a convention, barely. Part of the fun they have is teasing around the edges of that and trying to, like, break a lot of things. But they are, like, they started as, uh, we'll talk about this in a minute, they started as a punk band. They started as, like, a noise punk, almost like a crusty band, almost like mm-hmm. grindy. Um, so they've, they've, they've moved towards the periphery from a fairly central starting point. Not conventional, I mean, they're not a household band at any point, but yeah, they definitely got more uh, extreme in their experiments. Um, got, got reasonably close to being one at a certain point, though, to, to a degree. To be yes, Yeah. Well, uh, so, something close to a household name, DFA, but yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's that's telling, though, of your perspective versus most folks' perspective. Because right. I think they're a, a household name in your household, certainly. And, yes. And yeah. they're, they're big in this conversation. Yeah. But I think, you know, it's that thing about... Has your, your mum heard of them? Has your mum heard of them? Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's, it's like there's <laughs> no danger. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, a prominent feature of avant-garde music is to break through various rules and regulations of traditional culture in order to transcend established creative principles and appreciation habits. So, yeah, about the way they create and also about the way the music is received and processed by the audience. Avant-garde music pursues novelty in musical form and style, insisting that art is above everything else, thus it creates a transcendental and mysterious sound world. Um, that The art above everything else thing is kind of crucial for the appreciation of it because it, it does reject convention, it does reject things like hookiness and basic melody and harmony and all those kind of things. It it really throws out things that we tend to take for granted in music. Even, you know, just things like riffs and voice, it it doesn't really engage with that much. a bit it's always had guitar in it like this but really not in the sense that i think most people would think of guitar a guitar band um john cage had an interesting comment on it obviously he's very well known as somebody pushing the boundaries of what can and can't be considered art and music you know for is it 433 Yeah. yeah i mean silence basically so he with that was making that ultimate statement of is this actually music because there's nothing there um it had been clear from the beginning that what was needed was a music based on noise on noises lawlessness and so this this idea starts to come out about the difference between sound and noise um and a guy called richard beck had written for the harvard advocate when we talk about sounds we are talking about the domesticated part of the audible world sounds have names they can be controlled by the people who hear them they are often nice to listen to noises though only refer to themselves and they are what we would rather not be hearing. Until the end of the 19th century, musical meant pitched sounds produced by certain kinds of instruments, harmonising with one another in certain ways. What modernism in music built was a much bigger tent of musical sounds and it let the noises in. And even for, for your own personal output Ben, like noise is a big part of it. I mean you did a lot of field recording as well.
just a tool, isn't it? You know, it's a yeah, it's it, it's a, it's a, it's another string, you know, essentially on 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 that guitar right there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's interesting that even you know when they were using things like cannons. I mean, a cannon is a noise, and it was being used in classical music, of course. And then a lot of the percussion could be done with quite unconventional things, you mm-hmm. know, like anchors and barrels and all this kind of well, stuff. You just have to look at Morricone for yeah. that to ring true, you know. But yeah. at the same time, they were. They were getting a sound from that. They were they weren't using it. They, part of the charm of that was that they were making a musical sound from something that otherwise would seem unmusical. They weren't actually using it just as noise. Mm-hmm. And one of the things about a lot of the experimental stuff that we'll probably hear and talk about and refer to is that they actually just embraced it as noise. It wasn't that they were getting a musical sound out of something. It's that they were just harnessing the noise and the confrontational nature of using noises instead of trying to make them and mould them into sounds that serve a musical purpose in an older sense. So I think I think that's kind of interesting and that's kind of the, that's where a lot of this conversation is going to be couched because when people hear the clips that I'm cutting in, there's undoubtedly going to be a lot of people that this is this is out with their wheelhouse. So I hope they can, yeah, for sure, hope yeah. they can engage with the kind of conversation and with us because I mean you're a big fan of this. I'm not massively familiar with Black Dice. I know them and obviously I know that they're quite revered by people in the underground and stuff, but to actually sit and grapple with them is quite another thing, especially with a hangover. <laughs> how, did, how did you find it on a hangover? Uh, with, a, with a hangover, not a lot of fun. But look, oh, yeah? I mean, I'd been listening to them, obviously, quite a bit in the build-up to this. But um, They pushed some buttons, though, for sure, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, there, you go, there you go. <laughs> right deep down inside, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, a wee bit of the backstory to them. Um, they started in 1997. Uh, they actually the band formed in Rhode Island uh, at a college beyond Copeland. Uh, Sebastian Blank, Blank by the way, interesting. B l a n c k. Yeah, yeah. Sebastian Blank and hey, Hisham. You know that, huh? Yeah, yeah. Hisham Barucha. Uh, he, I think Hisham was in drums and electronics. He was in the band till 2004. Sebastian Blank was in it till 99. And when he left, this kind of when the punk rock stuff seemed to start to dissipate and they became they, they, they started to embark on the sonic experiment thing <laughs> Eric Copeland did join after the band had already formed and he, be- he became the vocalist I oh, uh, see I didn't know that yeah. actually yeah. Uh, so they were a trio and they were doing this kind of like experimental improvised noise with bits of songs in between. Eric joined and, you know, they be- became a quartet with a kind of more traditional lineup. Um, they, they also they moved to Brooklyn uh, where Eric was studying um, and kind of became associated with that. Uh, a guy called Aaron Warren joined in 99 just at the same time as Blank left. And Aaron Warren is a guy that does a lot of the electronics now and he's quite a, like a key member of the, the, the lineup as mm-hmm. it stands. So yeah, uh, the early years the shows were really fast and frantic and quite violent apparently. Um, used to be a lot of injuries and you know people limbs flying. Uh, they were usually short sets. I've seen it that they were tended to be about fifteen minutes. Um, again, they were a mixture of a few tracks and a bit of improv between the tracks, and that kind of like hardcore grind noise crust thing continued right up until Blank had left that band. Um, I saw uh, Anthony Fantano um, in one of his reviews of them had referred to them as being as weird as Captain Beefheart but as playful as Deerhoof. I can see that. 
And you know, uh, whilst the music is challenging, it doesn't try to be intentionally unpleasant or arduous. You know, they're not they're not trying to make it a difficult experience for you. There are definitely experimental musicians that want you to have a difficult time listening to their music. But I think there is a playfulness to them. Some of the tones they go for are almost like comical, Cart- cartoony. Yeah, at, at points, I would say. Yeah. So technically, uh, their first album was actually Chimes in Black Water, Volume One, uh, a record they did with Wolf Eyes. In terms of the Black Dice canon though, uh, their, their own canon, um, their debut Beaches and Canyons in 2002 was their first full album and marked a really big change in sound uh, from where they'd started. <laughs> saying that, it hadn't come out of nowhere. They'd released quite a lot of EPs and bits and bobs and that sound had been gradually changing on the way. Um, I mean, even Chimes and Blackwater had already made a lot of strides in that. It's, it's quite ambient and, mm-hmm. and droney and, mm-hmm. and unusual. Um, so yeah, the, the shifting styles thing, the, it's interesting seeing the band co- comment on it as well. They described the changing styles as gradual. Bjorn had said that the earliest shows were all songs, as in they were all you know structured, rehearsed numbers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, And then as they started to indulge in these transitions between those songs, gradually those transitions and I think the freedom that they gave the musicians became the focus. And then eventually the songs were abandoned in, in favour really of the passages of music that had been between the songs. That's interesting, huh? You, you, know, yeah. you know, it reminds me of, reminds me of Billy Connolly. Yeah, he was a musician who did the skits in between the songs and the skits between... Oh, became, yeah, right, huh? It became him, basically, yeah. yeah. Wow, yeah, that's the, a nice link, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, the big one. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, one big part of that, I think, was uh, the change uh, in the, the sound was the adoption of you know effects processing things like that. Mm-hmm. As they started to add loads of guitar pedals and things, yeah, yeah. and then also obviously when Aaron Warren came in, his use of electronics and NPCs and samplers and mm-hmm. things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, the show was apparently became exploratory and abstract, but maintained the confrontational aspects via sheer volume, uh, as well as the use of like, abrasive tones and frequencies. Oh yeah. Uh, vouch for that first hand (laughs) (laughs) Uh, you know they've noted that uh, a lot of their uh, newer stuff at that point even around about 2000 didn't resonate with many of the fans of the earlier stuff the hardcore punk community are quite into their regimented acceptable formats of music but they did begin to attract a lot of industrial fans and they they started to invite comparisons with a lot of 80s stuff like White House and Nursery Wind that kind of thing Uh, as well as uh, taking a lot of influences and citing people like Merzbo and Masona. Mm-hmm. Um, talked, I mean, the, the Japanese noise scene is obviously fucking legendary. Like, yeah, of course. Like yeah, on, the, yeah. on the underground, it's probably something at some point, Mark, that unfortunately we'll have to do an episode on. And I'm sure that'll be an <laughs> easy bit of research. Yeah. Uh, Incapacitance, one, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, but by the time beaches and canyons had, had arrived, their set lengths had gone from being like 15 minutes to multiples of that, you know, four or yeah. five times as long as that. And even some of the songs at that point were going over the 40-minute mark, individual tracks. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess I'd like to just do like the kind of usual whistle-stop tour of their back catalogue. Don't want to dwell too much on it because there's quite mm-hmm. a lot. Um, but I, I, I wanted to pay particular attention to like some of that really early stuff because I think when you hear this, it's hard to think that this band worked for years as like a proper, authentic, kind of grindy punk crust band. So the, the first thing they actually put out at all was untitled, but I think it's become known as Printed Paper right. in 1998. Which is yeah, it's hectic kind of screamo, crusty noise punk. Um, I, it's it, somewhere between the kind of stuff you find in the European squat underground. You know the really yeah. dingy, dirty kind of German squat scene, and then it, it incorporates some of the hipper ideas. I mean, I guess coming from Brooklyn, it, it, it would be hard not to. But it has some of the flavors of maybe the first Daughters EP from two thousand and two. Yeah. There's a little bit of zaniness and a little bit of self-awareness in there. But that, that untitled thing, five tracks, three minutes, gives you an idea of the, the, yeah. the kind of tracks that you're <laughs> yeah. talking about. Um, 98, they also brought out Black Dice. I think it was a seven-track uh, thing, uh, which had uh, a single, a single, inverted commas on it, called uh, Lambs Like Fruit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sound really authentically kind of lo-fi and crusty I can imagine them at that point being sort of grouped alongside acts like uh, Locust you know yes. Locust Locust Um, their uh, self-titled debut EP in 97 has got quite a lot in common with it. And also, uh, do you know the band An Albatross? Yes. Yeah, so like they had, they had a demo in 99 called Six Bird Cake, I think. And that stuff, it, it has that little bit of like goofiness, playfulness, couple of synths, but... I mean, was it, was it on uh, 3-1-G? Yes, 3-1-G, right? I don't know if it was or not. Oh, okay. I have to look up. Right. I think the, yeah. the An Albatross demo, I think, was self-released. Right, right, right. It, it, it sounds authentically grimy and dirty and heavy and nasty, yeah. you know, it, and same with Locust, and obviously those bands would go on to do something that actually was a lot more polished, and mm-hmm. They, mm-hmm. they were like, I don't mean this to be totally disparaging, but they were like the crust music for hipsters, if you know what I mean, like, you, you would get oh, pe- yeah. people at those shows, you know, yeah. sonically you're like, oh, I wouldn't have thought these people would have liked it, but there's a lot of people here that would see it, kind of art rock shows and, yeah. and Deerhoof and those those kind of things. Um 
yeah, they were just generally just a bit cooler and a bit self-aware and a lot of the kind of more mainstream magazines enjoyed the fact that they could write about them and, and it was taboo almost. It well, was push it, pushing against it a little, you know. Yeah, it was yeah. kind of titillating yeah. for their audience yeah. to hear and see something so extreme yeah. within the safe confines of them still being hip and not these genuinely threatening, scary German anarchists that... Yeah, know, absolutely, yeah. Um, Semen of the Sun EP <laughs> 2000 Cracking name um, It is a name <laughs> That's for sure I don't think this yeah. exists But I, I, I would love to label this Chaos Core Because it's fucking wild it, It's hard to really tell on it Which bits are written And which bits are just improv it, It's really feral But then there's these moments of it That seem, you know They're quite tight They're quite locked in yeah. So there is some sort of structure there But it's very difficult to disentangle it Uh, the self-titled EP they also brought out in 2000 is nine minutes long, really heavily distorted guitar and vocals still, but um, it, it's not over-structured, it's starting to get quite like, amorphous, do you know what I mean? It's, it's really hard to tell when you're going between songs or tracks and things like that. That's that's great though, isn't it? <laughs> you know that kind of like the divide that you can't really kind of like differentiate. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. One that people might recognise that even just the cover of it is "Cold Hands" from two thousand and one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, really furious, really caustic record. There's some sophisticated sounds starting to appear in it and the, the loops are some really interesting tones that, I mean, the early stuff is just so lo-fi. Like, it's almost yeah. like, it's like the grime version, uh, the, the grindy kind of version of black metal or something like that, you yeah, know. Yeah. Um, at this point, you can tell that they're taking some pride in the fidelity of some of the tones that they're using. Um, and I think as far as this style of music goes, this is one of the best examples I've heard, actually. The lines are still really blurred, though, between structured and unstructured. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Beaches and Canyons arrives in 2002, a huge change if you set it against where they started. And I think despite being super weird by most people's measurements, I think it's actually really musical and there are moments that you can actually get really immersed in it. That's beautiful. Yeah. What, yeah. Like, what are your thoughts on that record? Cause I, mean, you were, you I mean, you know, that, that would be the first one that I would kind of snap straight towards, to be honest with you. I mean, it, 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 it's, it's up there with any classic New Age record for me, Beaches and Canyons. I like how loose it feels to to a degree, but it's very like this. This will come back to the beauty of like field recording, just as a process. Anyway, uh, I think Beaches and Canyons is like a really beautiful example of how that can be presented in like a like a rock record and keep keep you there. I think it's brilliant. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, that that's probably the best record, I think. Uh, uh, yeah, I think there's there's stuff on it that surprised me in how they were able to make it immersive. Like, so, for example, I think the third track's called "The Dream Is Going Down." Oh, so good! And there's a really long feedback section in that. So good. Yeah, with just this really sparse percussion under it, but it's despite the fact that it's effectively feedback, it, it's it's arranged in such a way that it feels very musical. Danceable almost Yeah And I thought that was a a real achievement To take something that should be a racket And and, and turn it into something that actually feels a lot more considered And and, and accomplished than that I think that's the beauty of them in, In general, to be honest with you Like taking something that should be extremely annoying And should be a racket But actually presenting it in such a way that you can You do feel involved in it somehow You know Um Yeah uh, Creature Comforts 2004 uh, I noticed it written that this was quite a divisive record Amongst people um, Musically I was okay with it uh, I think it smuggles more melody Into the weirdness and It does it, do that It has a lighter yeah. touch as well mm-hmm. overall think it relies on uneasiness instead of discomfort to make it his impact. Wooziness. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I've got that. Yeah, and skeleton. I've got woozy guitars because it kind of does feel like you're on acid. It sounds extremely seasick. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, Yeah, totally. Yeah, Yeah. So I did what I don't usually do and I started with booking your record first. Usually I leave the record we're doing till last. Yeah. And... For me, Beaches and Canyons was really the only one spoiler alert that I could actually get a hook on. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and Creature Comforts was one that I bounced off really hard, really quickly. Just not... Just not, apart not, from no. Skeleton, which I really liked that for some reason. Not, I think not, it's just... Not, not Cloud Pleaser, no. <laughs> I just, I don't know, it was like a creature, the song creature was quite intense on it, um, but I don't know, I liked Skeleton because it felt, I don't know, it felt like I was at a seaside amusement fair, but I was on acid. That's nice, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? It yeah. was really, yeah, and yeah, the, the guitar tones on it were quite nice, but yeah, that was the hardest one for me to get out of all of them, I would really? say. Really? Okay, yeah. Interesting, Interesting. I, did, I did notice that it had more melody in it, I thought that would maybe have made it a little bit easier to digest. I think Beach Thinking is more soundscapey as a whole, which mm-hmm. I generally quite like as a musical yeah. thing anyway, you know. I always thought that um, Creature Comforts was one of the more pleasant ones a- a- akin to Beaches and Canyons, actually. Do, actually. do, do you rate it? I do rate it, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 I yeah, I do. yeah. Why people seem divided over it? Is it just because it was... I'm, I'm not sure, I don't know. It's a different kind of intense than Beaches and Canyons. It's, it has a, a different mood entirely. Mm-hmm. Um, there's almost a serenity, I think, to Beaches and Canyons, which Keisha Comfort doesn't have. And, and also, like, aesthetically, I think Beaches and Canyons is saying a particular thing. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, it even tracks like Seabird, You Will Never Be the Same Again. It, it, it deals a lot with the natural world, I guess. So yeah. there's already a connection there straight away. Whereas Creature Comfort... Oh, 
maybe that's it. You know, creature comforts doesn't necessarily say the same thing as beaches and canyons is doing. Perhaps I, I'm not sure. Um, so broken ear record came next, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. after that it was load blown. Uh, mm-hmm. Two thousand and eight. Um, I, I this this record I, I didn't really have any strong feelings about it. Um, other than noticing that I think the third track when it go was a really standout moment. Yeah, that's what I've got oh. as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was really accessible that one. Squelchy percussion on it, you know, which they do sometimes in big squelchy synths, which sound a bit like they're and like being played through mud or something like yeah. that. Yeah, load blown did kind of pass me over a little bit, although it did feel as though it was getting a bit more dancey, which they kind of do yeah. as, they, as their career goes on, they do tend to get more mm-hmm. and go in a dance direction. Um, Where does it sit in their, you know, in their, their canon for you, Ben? Which one now? Lo- load balloon. Once it starts getting a little bit more sample-based, something starts to solidify with me. I, I, th- I feel like Broken Air Record was when I first kind of switched into this new kind of idea of Black Dice. It, it's almost like a kind of, like the nasty end of DJ Shadow, mm-hmm. yeah. like to a degree in, in some ways. Load blown. Yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'm not. Sh- I'm not sure to be honest with you. I, I, I don't know how to answer that question. <laughs> Sorry, maybe that's the answer. Like, you don't really remember yeah. it so much. Then maybe it just wasn't something which. I mean, I love the record, yeah. but I don't really know. Like, I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out. Like, it's not on a par. We're trying to put the relevance. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's not on a par with um, Broken Ear Record or Beaches and Canyons. Not to say it's any any better or worse. You know, like mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Okay. Um, Repo, uh, 2009. Uh, still really experimental, but um, I think it's got quite a lot of accessible moments. Totally, yeah. I uh, think so, yeah. A lot of short, a lot of shorter songs. No, no long passages of sound. It is, actually feels a bit more constructed with the idea of a of a pop song in mind. If mm-hmm. yeah. they are a lot yeah. like three, four minute long songs. Yeah, yeah. See, uh, absolutely. Like Ultravolmic Craze right there at the end is is probably one of the closest points they've got to something that might potentially be kind of chart bothering. Yeah, it's really fun- really funky that song. It's very funky, mm-hmm. scrunky. Yeah, it's brilliant. I thought um, Earnings Plus Interest, the third track, um, does genuinely begin to show kind of hip-hop sensibilities. Yeah, of course, as well. It made me think of Jay Dilla. You know, the, the, obviously the MPC and the like, kind of the chopped up beats and stuff like that. Yeah. There's there's yeah. nice analog feel to that. Lazy TV has like a, a, a the vocal sample sounds like a, from a soul song. Yeah. 
with the sort of hip hop beat, it does kind of feel as though it is echoing back to like eighties hip hop, then you know the whole sample sample bomb squad style thing, yeah. you know, um, which is pretty cool. And obviously, there's still the usual twisted electronics that they, they usually use are still still apparent in that as well. But I think yeah, that was for me the one that made me go oh. I'll try and I knew I dreaded they were trying different things on every record, but I yeah. didn't think they'd ever try to do like twelve songs on a record. Like they don't—that's just unheard of. <laughs> do you know, it's starting to get a little bit friendlier at this point yeah. as well. I think a little brighter, just like aesthetically. I feel like they're becoming a little, a, a little warmer to whoever might be listening to them mm. at home. I, I think. think that's fair. Yeah, yeah. In twenty twelve, they brought out Mister Impossible. It's got a completely different thing written on the front cover of the record. Uh, I don't know what that's all about, but uh, this is probably my favourite of their stuff, actually. Oh, yeah? This one, yeah. The, I, I like the balance of the experimental and the structural in this. Um, I like the approach to the beats. I think the fourth track in it, Pigs, it was a, a promo single and video. And it really blossoms into this acidic electropunk. I mean, I didn't say banger, but by their standards, banger. Yeah. It is a banger. Um, yeah, with a proper riff and groove to all that racket. It's very danceable, that song. Yeah. Like a, I could, you know, you can feel yourself like bobbing your head to it, which you can't really for a lot of their songs, to be mm. honest. No. You can you, you can try that one into a DJ set and nobody's that bothered. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> nobody's <Yeah>. that bothered. <laughs> 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 yeah. People having seizures as well. Yeah. 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 Nobody. You're not getting asked for Belinda Carlisle too quickly. Yeah. Uh, and then, then there was there was a big gap. So maybe can you shed any light on why it was you know nine years between that and then the, the follow up? Uh, they, they all moved to different places. I think is what actually happens. Um, but I mean, during that time, Eric put out a lot of his own stuff. Um, under what name? Eric Copeland. Okay. Under his name. I think it was literally just like a kind of geographical thing, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, well, they came back in 2021 with Mod Prog Sick. Mm-hmm. I think continuing that trend, injecting more structure and like a rhythmic spine into the textures. They, like Obviously, they still had a mesh of really bizarre textures going on there. But for me, I think it really works with their sound. Um, they, I noticed that the record starts, that the first half of it is a bit more structured and accessible. And the second half of it kind of goes back to something that's a little bit like more like their heyday of weirdness. It's definitely not conventional, but I think it holds together better and doesn't feel like a piss take at points. It's, yeah. it's, it's, as you said, friendly to the listener. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. uh, there's a bit of reciprocity there. The fifth track in it, White Sugar, was a, a promo from this and has this ultra dank funkiness to it. I think it, it appeals to the Trans Am fan in me, actually. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I thought it was a bit of like Bad Bet. Bad Bet's got a bit of a techno beat, which I found, I found myself bobbing my head to that. Big Chip is also quite funky. 
um, Downward Arrow, I think, is probably the closest thing they've got to a, dan- a proper dance dance song. <laughs> Well, I don't necessarily say it's a dance song, you know yeah, what I mean? But yeah. it does have that feel to it, and this does feel as though it is maybe a, again another turn, like you said, Ben, towards accessibility, mm-hmm. whatever that means for this band. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, can I be a wee bit provocative? Can um, try. <laughs> I, I actually. It's surprising that you even ask that. <laughs> Usually you just do it. He did it in the last episode as well. He was on his best behaviour. I don't know what's going on, man. Uh, it's because he's hung over. <laughs> I've lost my edge. Yeah. Like you're losing your edge. Don't <laughs> gaslight me. Um, <laughs> how, how, e- how easy is it to bluff this? Yeah, so, what do you mean? Uh, yeah, so like, let's let's say use Mersbo as an example, Okay. Would Mersbo survive a Pepsi challenge if you, if you were to play a Mersbo track or something that you'd never heard before and then just something that some random kid had just churned out in, you know, an hour in their bedroom? Like, what is the difference between great extreme experimental stuff and, and nonsense? You know, I, I think it maybe ties back to the Emperor's New Clothes thing. And it, Is there a huge Emperor's New Clothes thing here where somebody comes out with something that's static and noise and crunchy things and hiss and gain and all these weird broken pots and it's just like a mad fucking mess in your head but that Emperor's New Clothes thing takes hold and you're like, oh no, this is genius or is there actually a trained ear? You, you mean, you have a very trained ear. Can, uh-huh. can you listen to this and go... That they're kind of a charlatan. That guy's the real deal. That girl's the real deal. But this one's madness. Like, because for me, and I think for a lot of listeners, at times I get really sucked out at the moment, and I'm like, "This is a piss take." Like certain tracks, I'm like, "That is fucking brilliant. That's really inspired." There's a lot of like, you can hear the ingenuity that's going into that. And then other times, you're just like decontextualized. That is fucking ridiculous. Well, I thought the other one you hold on to because it's something we should come back to after we've had this discussion, which probably should have happened way at the start of the episode. But <laughs> continue. Okay, <laughs> put, a, put a pin in that. Yeah. But how how easy do you think it is to bluff this? Well, I, I don't really understand what the bluff is. Do, do you know well, what I mean? The, okay, well, I don't want to pick on this band, but I just mean the big names in the scene. So, like, ah. it, like I think Mersbo's out. Yeah. It, it's a fair target given what some Mersbo stuff sounds like you yeah. know literally just fucking yeah. cheats the static for you know 40 minutes well I think it probably has to come back down to catalogue surely you know what I mean like if, if, if you've done it again and again and again and it's proved its chops then it can't be a fluke mm-hmm. does that make sense yeah yeah it, it does I'm just curious like but how does that process start though? How do you, well put it this way, right? if you brought out your first record and it was Sheets of Static, if I, if I went and recorded Sheets of Static and released yeah. it, how do you get on that ladder of credibility? You're, you're asking how you know where, whether it's good or, or it's not good. No, I think, you're, is, is it more about, a question to me in my head is more about the craft. How is it a guy in his bedroom 
slapping together sounds for an hour. How is that any better or worse than Mersbo, who's probably spent like six months writing a record? This is the thing, like it comes back to that old age old thing, you know, when when somebody hears something that is, you know, experimental and noisy and they and they turn around to you and they say, Oh, uh well I well I could have done that in five minutes. But it's like but you didn't. They they did it. <laughs> is that, <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Is that, like, is that literally the only thing holding it back? Just because they did it. There's no other particular aptitude to. It. I mean, I, I know that's not. Well, I know well, it's not well, that's the case. A, well, that's a little loaded. Yeah, but in extreme scenarios, like and again, I'm picking on Mersbo here, but some of those sheets of static records. Mm-hmm. How does that come to be so revered? Like, how does that career blossom and acquire this the status and, and the profile that it has when? It would seem like such an easy thing to do. I mean, I'm I'm being devil's advocate here. I just yeah, think it's, yeah, an, it's, it's an interesting conversation to have because there's no getting away from the fact that if you set up, you know, half a dozen channels on a four track machine and just recorded a bunch of bizarre fucking noises, mm. you could release it. And to some people, if you told them it was by X, Y, or Z, yeah. they'd be like, "Oh, that's fucking brilliant." That's, yeah. Uh, but I uh, but I I can't really wrap my head around why it needs to be justified in the first place. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe it doesn't, but it is. It's interesting to look at the you, 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 the arbitrary nature of some of our uh, some of what we hold up as great art. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, essentially, being devil's advocate, what is the answer? What is your answer to the question? I think. Well, let's let's look at Black Dice. I think there's more than enough moments in this band's career that even when I do think they're maybe guilty of of phoning something in, like there's something on a record that I'm like, honestly, there's. Like, I mean, it is one of those moments where you're like, I could have done that uninspired in five minutes, but there's loads of other moments where they do something that you're like, that's fucking great. Like, that's really clever, and you can tell that's difficult, and you can tell there's a lot of thought gone into that. So they, to, to me, they've put that to bed. Like, it's like there's plenty in there to show that when they do do something that is very, very basic, it's willfully basic. Like, yeah. it, it wouldn't have yeah. to be basic. They, but I don't think that's the case with a lot of other people. Um, I think a lot... Who knows, you know? <laughs> like- I, yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I just think it's, it's a... Any extreme art, I suppose, it's a much bigger conversation, but any extreme or really avant-garde art, you know, people like smearing blood on a, like a wall, you know, it's like, like and it being held up and being revered, you know, like, you know, the unmade bed argument, you know, and yeah. that, that kind of thing. Like, it's like, well, that's, how, how, how is that art? How is that genius? That's just a, a fucking thing. And there's truth to that. There's a lot of truth to that. And a lot of what, a lot of what we hold up as art is more telling of our psychology or like herd mentality and the need to be, you know, part of an in-group, you know, that, that urge for an in-group. I think a lot of these artists survive based on our personal individual insecurities and need to be part yeah, of in-groups yeah, and to create yeah, yeah. in-groups that we can all say, I'm into that, are you into that, we're into that, we're special, others don't get it. And I think in this in this realm of music, You'd, I personally think there's a lot of Charlins playing their trade. I do not think Black Dice are Charlins, but I do think there are a lot of people in that area that are, and it's more just about how weak and insecure we are as listeners. Do, do you think that has something to do with what is perceived as the ease of how something is made? Yes, I think I think that's definitely part of it. Yeah. Because I'm because I, that 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 does feel a little bit false to me. It's like we're talking about if something is not polished then there's inherently uh, a problem somehow. 
I, I don't know if we are. I mean, I would I would say that, like for example, a lot of the a lot of the records you're sitting in front of right now are extremely unpolished. You know, the kind of grain course. What stuff. you mean these four ABBA records <laughs> that I've just had to move to sit down here <laughs> behind those ones? Oh, oh yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. But they the kind of like European grain course stuff that's very unpolished, but yet there's such a measure of skill in performing it. You know, like uh-huh. physical feats, like blast beats and all that kind of stuff. Like I see this. Okay, so this is this is a thing, right? here isn't it it's 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 a problem with electronic music then you know what no i think i would actually level it at a lot of like acoustic stuff as well right. or like a lot of like maybe very banal indie stuff that just somehow i mean i suppose with acoustic stuff you can say oh they've got a great voice or they don't have a great voice but there's maybe metrics that are a bit more conventional there but i mean it definitely applies to other genres as well where people do things that are quite meandering i mean okay here's one that would say in fact and it does require some talent but post post rock or post metal uh-huh. stuff like mono and explosions in the sky yeah. which to me is so i'm, I'm not asking you to pass comment on this because no, i realize you maybe know some of these people no, but it's fine but yeah. it's so generic and so formulaic right, that, but they're, but they're, 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 they're playing chords and um, and whatnot and you know yeah it's but it's the 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 the, the formulaic nature of it the lack of like real and invested attempt to do anything original i think to me i find that really alienating and so it's not just about the simplicity of the performance or the simplicity of the sound it's also just about the simplicity of the 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 emotion and the idea behind it Mm -hmm. i think it's very easy to just be a fraud and then let the listener do all of the heavy lifting and like the interpreting of like oh this is really something yeah exactly Yeah. I don't have an answer. I don't have an answer, but I do think... I don't think there is an answer, really. No, but when you get to the extremes of anything, like painting, sculpture, like music, it, there is a lot of room for both inspired works of, like, groundbreaking genius and just fucking nonsense. Well, this is why, I, we'll come back to it, this is why I feel like catalogue has a lot to play in this conversation. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Uh, uh, you can You can smash something noisy out in a, in a couple of minutes if you want to. You know. Building up a body of work, basically. I think so, yeah. I think so. Paint a, painting a, a big picture of what, what's happening, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. Yeah. So, coming back to that pen. Let's come back to that pen, yeah. Um, so there's a lot of listeners to our podcast who'll be like, who the fuck are this band? Why the fuck are this band? And how do you get into this band? And that's the question that occurred to me as I was listening to it. First of all, it kind of touched on what you were saying. How does this qualify as music? Some people that I've sat in the car with me when, this week when I was listening to it were asking that I said very that's question. That's not music. We're asking that very question. I mean, that's just such a crazy thing right. to say, though, isn't that it? That is a crazy thing to say. And I mean, I, I would I would say this is music. But, <laughs> um, yeah, that's not where I'm going, but that's what people, there are some of our fans who will, who will be thinking mm-hmm. that, you know. I mean, the music question is, is a bit moot to me because anything's music to somebody. Mm-hmm. Well, just, that's I what mean, John Cage proved. Exactly. So, I mean, if you, you may think it's not music, that's fair enough, right? I'm not going to be able to change my mind in that. And <laughs> this podcast, you're not listening to it in that case, so it's, it's irrelevant. But I guess the the thing I was more thinking is like, how do you get into this kind of music? Because it's completely new to me, and it's definitely going to be new to a lot of people listening to this podcast. And hopefully we get a lot of fans for Black Days who'll come and go, oh, I can't believe this band are on a podcast, that's fucking cool. Um, this is not accessible music, right? And mm-hmm. it, it, it brought me back to the first time I ever heard uh, Slipknot, right? Mm-hmm. Which is totally bizarre. Very similar band. Yeah. Uh, no, it's just because it, it, <laughs> it, it, it spoke to the nature of me at the time when I was like, oh, I don't like heavy music. And then I heard that one Slipknot song. I was like, I quite like that. And then the, the ball starts rolling. Mm-hmm. 
time progresses and you, you keep pushing it and pushing it, it's a little bit more extreme, a little bit more extreme. What about this? What about that? You know what I mean? And then before you know it, you're listening to fucking like Cannibal Corpse or something. You're like, this is, yeah. this is fucking sweet, right? And that's maybe a five year process, could be a, a year long process, could be a six month process, could be a three week process for some people. I just don't fucking know. But to me, this felt like jumping really hard in the deep end of the pool, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it just brought me back to that yeah. question. It's like, yeah. where does it start? I feel as though there's like no rungs on the ladder and then like I'm expected to reach the one that's seven foot high and I'm yeah, six yeah. foot tall. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> um, it, I mean, I imagine some people probably have a eureka moment as well, where they just hear something that absolutely blows their fucking minds. I mean, certainly historically, you hear about a lot of musicians that are like, I was listening to X and then Y came along and I'd never heard anything like it and suddenly I was in love with it. Yeah, but most of the time when that happens, it happens to stuff which has some kind of hook. Yeah, possibly, possibly. I mean, I'm trying to like empathise with listeners in the sense that, have you never been so fucking jaded with music? And the, the lack of inspiration at what's coming out That you actually start to feel like Music in general has just Has nothing for you mm. You know, I'm not saying you feel like this all the time But I can imagine that music like this Is actually quite good at that time yeah. Because it rejects yeah. all the conventions Or almost all of the conventions It mm. just throws them out And you're finally, when you're in that really jaded place You're hearing something that's like Thank fuck they're not just retreading all the same old ground You know what yeah. I mean? I think that's kind of what threw me into it a little bit with Black Dice, honestly, with Beaches and Canyons. That that kind of mentality is like, well, thank fuck somebody's doing it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Doing what? <laughs> <laughs> doing not, you know, not... Burning the rule book. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Unconventional. Throw, throw, throwing it, throwing yeah. it away a little, throwing it out the fucking window, you know, you like... I mean, it just sometimes I'm like, uh, you know what, I don't want to hear a fucking punk band. No, I, I don't care how extreme this metal band is. I don't give a shit. I don't want to hear melodies. I don't want to hear somebody plinky plonking away on a piano. You just get so burned out and jaded with music, especially when you consume it as, as frequently as we have to for the, mm. for the things like the show and Absolutely, the job, yeah. mm-hmm. that you just find yourself needing something that doesn't conform, mm. just doesn't conform. And I suppose at that point, a band like this might be a tonic, you know? I feel like there's a connection missing though. Like you guys are still not explained to me. <laughs> I, 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 I tell you one thing that I do think about it is very unusual for you to find a band that do exactly what we've just described, mm-hmm. like tearing it up and throwing it out the window and not really giving a fuck about what you're supposed to do mm. if you're a musician, but actually being able to bring you in and and engage and it'd be fun because you, you know his, historically a lot of that type of music is confrontational yeah um by its very nature and like aesthetically quite quite dark mm-hmm. but black dice is super colorful um yeah literally i mean they embrace yeah. that even in their yeah. artwork and stuff like yeah. that as well yeah, yeah. I just I think maybe the thing that I'm missing here is like this this feels really un- this felt really unapproachable to me and I had to spend time with it right mm-hmm. and I, I I did engage with it right I had to if, if, I, if you know because <laughs> it's your job and you know what and as a result of it's like exposure therapy right so you kind of <laughs> yeah. like you start to see the things that are appealing but that's not immediately obvious to me mm-hmm. and I'm I mean I'm not as versed in extreme music as you guys are. But I, I'll, like I said, I think before we started recording, it's like I've got quite an open mind when it comes to music. I'll listen to anything, give it a go. Sometimes when I'm listening to stuff that is a bit too unapproachable, I feel as though I'm, tr- I, I feel as though my brain is like trying to get into a gang 
and, and, and then <laughs> you're, I, you're, I kinda, already, you're already trying to figure out your uh, your rebuttal. And then I kind of realised, and I kind of realised, like actually, if I have to try this out in the gang, I don't fucking want to be in the gang in the first place. <laughs> oh, you know well. I mean? I'm thinking about this from the perspective of somebody that has not had the the benefit of spending all the time in the music that I have. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you know, to go back to a, a reference that we made in the podcast a couple of times, that Trent Reznor quote about the change uh, when music went to digital and you had like the oh, almost option paralysis mm-hmm. uh, with just so many things mm-hmm. in front of you. Uh, rather than buying one record that you could afford maybe a week and being forced to digest it. And he talked at the time about how, you know, you're not get Pink Floyds now. You're probably not even get Radioheads coming through because the attention spans and the need for an immediate connection is so high that it's very difficult to convince somebody to take, you know, Dark Side of the Moon home and yeah. learn to understand the language that that record's trying to talk in. And mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm. I would think that groups like this, acts like this, probably suffer in that sense. Because back in the day, yeah, I would I would buy a record and I would take it home, and at first blush, I'd be like, I just I just don't know what the fuck this is, mm-hmm. um, but. I'd paid money for it and it maybe wasn't that easy to just go and take it and I'd be like right okay I'll try and get to grips with so it so you try again mm. and then you you're you don't f- need to try again anymore yeah yeah exactly yeah, you just yeah. like patch it skip move on and yeah. so there's a sense as well that there might be a, a kind of convergence towards conformity mm. in art because it will be hard to get traction when you release a challenging record we've spoken about Radiohead I think being the last high profile example of you know to get in the door before it slams shut in terms of release, changing their direction to something that their audience probably now would just be like fuck off mm-hmm. you know yeah. give us another yeah. creep you know and I, th- I think that's interesting um, I don't know man I, I don't know I think it was interesting as well how the band got to this sound, the fact that it happened incrementally the fact that the in-between bits grew to consume their entire catalogue That is interesting, Yeah, and then the the in-between bits then continued to evolve, they went from being noise to actually being absence of noise and become, so that's I can interesting, the segues take control Yeah, it's nice Um, (laughs) So in terms of how they got there that was was cool to have some light shed in that, but as a listener, no, I I don't really know, and I mean, the is but you didn't hit this straight away, though. There was obviously other things around about this that you would that you were familiar. You were familiar at least with the language, even if you didn't know how to speak the dialect. Yeah, you, you still kind of understood some of the words, you know. Some of it, but I'm I'm one. I have a very low tolerance for that Charlotte and Emperor's New Clothes effect as well, and that that makes this genre not particularly fertile ground for me. Mm-hmm. I, I right. really struggle with a lot of them, and I think mm-hmm. on that note, it's worth actually talking about the record itself in a bit of depth because I'll unpack that. Um, I I noticed that apart. Apparently this album came about from them wanting more percussive material for their live shows. Uh, there was there was a lack of that, so there was quite a focus on this record. And I think it uses quite a lot of the same sounds and patches and stuff from Creature Comforts. There's like a kinda, there's a continuity in in that sense. That's it, quite interesting, isn't it? I mean, you'd, you'd have to think that if they weren't a kind of a, a punk or a hardcore band before that, there's artists for that percussive nature just doesn't matter to them. You know what I mean? They, they, yeah. They'll happily do entire sets and, and they'll feel as well that's fine and they'll, they'll be happy to do that. So there must have been that pull back to something traditional to kind of make it feel as though there was actually forward motion in a set or something like that. I think you know? maybe just to keep your, your audience engaged, yeah. to have in your arsenal certain pieces that you're like, right, this, this set needs a lift here. For example, if we have something really percussive here, it'll actually accentuate the following one, which is quite textural. You mm-hmm. know, so it's maybe it's just a, that is just a sign of craft, I think. Um, I read a fucking absolutely cringeworthy review of this in Tiny Mixtapes that I think mm-hmm. underlines my, my my comments about like Emperor's New Clothes and that 
arbitrary need to fucking just be gung-ho fucking ridiculously into something to seem like it so it's a guy called Matt Weir he wrote I think I've found the concept behind this effort Broken Ear Record is Black Dice's attempt to make a mainstream album and how could the noise tendencies of Black Dice be mainstream by bringing the R&B rap funk urban beats seriously you can nod to the whole record especially Smiling Off and the Talking Heads meets Dying Robot meets Cannibal Anthem of Motorcycle there's even a song called Street Dude maybe now with DF connected to major label distribution the Dicers felt they might as well pretend they can be a radio the, band the Dicers <laughs> and then they laugh their heads off as they make an awesome noise dance record Smiling Off is still awesome but Motorcycle is closest to the best track they've ever recorded and Snarly Yow is Carpet Rave all Carpet Rave all textured beats <laughs> this whole record amazes me even the too short repetitive ABBA how can they come around and do this every time god damn 5 out of 5 who the fuck so this is what I mean. Like, I mean, we can we can objectively agree that how he's describing this music is not fucking accurate. <laughs> completely inaccurate. Why would they? This is yeah. their attempt to make a mainstream album. Now, I understand that his point is it's fucking oh, brilliant. Though. There's elements of conventionality in here that are unusual in their catalog, hmm. but the way he's fucking like tried to mind fuck us into thinking this is something incredibly accessible because when you go and listen to it you're like I can't get into this at all but yet this guy says it's so accessible what's wrong with me fuck off that is a fucking gaslighty yeah, fucking totally, man. review yeah. it's like I'm so fucking into this this is this is easy for me to digest this is almost like pop music listen Peasant. to that thumping beat you're like dude fuck off well I guess it depends on what your experience is though because it does feel kind of accessible to me yeah no kind of accessible but I think we can both both objectively agree that the notion that that's poppy or mainstream, even if he's saying that tongue in cheek, I think it illustrates why so much of that scene does my fucking head in. It, 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 it depends on what your experience of pop music is, though. Like, I had this conversation with my manager the other day about what's, what's pop music and what, what's not, you know. I, I, I feel like, to me, this is pop music, but within my sphere do you know what I mean within my within my little world you know as a guy that wanted me to go and see Belinda Carlyle with him <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah it's yeah, kind yeah, of madness yeah I can, I can see I can, I can take your point on that you know I think there's definitely genres of, and kinds of music and bands that we all like where we can go you know what I can, I can maybe see how I can maybe see how that's the poppy song you know what I mean or maybe that's the one which is like yeah that, that, that'll that that'll move something or it'll move a needle somewhere do you know what I mean like but I think that's a bit much <laughs> It just is that humble brag of like, oh, this is so easy, this music. This is so fucking accessible. It's like, no, it isn't. (laughs) You can like it. You can see it's good, but then he fucking trying ghastly is. But it does kind of come back to a point that we've both kind of hit on here. It's like, you know, if his language is like much much more dense and obscure and esoteric then maybe to him that does sound like oh fuck that'll be in the radio next I'd like to think he's not being completely serious come on I don't think he's being completely <laughs> serious but I do think it's indulgent to the point of being quite alienating and part of that language that goes around sort of hipster extreme music fans that just make you feel like a fucking idiot because yeah. you're like mm-hmm. oh this doesn't sound like mainstream to me it doesn't sound accessible at all and you suddenly feel like very much on the outgroup he's speaking to his people there he is. and it's that's fucking annoying i think you know if i was the editor man i'd, I'd, ask, him to, <laughs> I'd ask him to bring some of that language in but. <laughs> 
<laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I feel a lot better now. That was literally my hangover coming out in words. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I literally can see it. It's on the floor right next to you right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was last night. I, I'm just I'm just like a, like I just said, like I think if I was the editor, I'd be like, mate, gone and not. Can you can you react that? Can you take that please? I would just be like, keys are break. <laughs> Does the motherfucker still work for him? <laughs> Doubtful. Uh, so the first track, Snarly Yow, hopefully a reference to David Yow. glitchy textural loop that arrives really early on in that track and I think see at 150 in that tune these slabs of the cacophonous fuzzy industrial electronics are really attention grabbing I thought it was almost jazzy in places I don't know, it's, it feels like it starts off quite jazzy and then it becomes quite abrasive, almost punky and then really hypnotic. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing I like about it. When, when I think they do good things, it's the hypnotic thing. It's when I realise that I'm getting lost in it. Ben, you said in a message before we started recording this that they can be quite annoying. And I think the repetitive nature can sort of, of some of the higher pitch sounds can be definitely very oh, fucking yeah, irritating. It's, it's there, yeah. But sometimes it can, sometimes that rep- repetition can also create a, a hypnotic feeling which a, f- a feedback loop yeah which is I think can be quite pleasant almost mm-hmm. yeah absolutely you know I feel like such a wank saying that um, it's really, no, it's really no, mainstream no. right it's, it's going to be on <laughs> the top of the pops next week <laughs> yeah and I think this this track also is one of the ones that you know I could hold up to show that these guys are not charlatans I think there's a bit in it I think about five minutes this looping sweet little synth trill thing they do yeah. this little motif And at that point I can safely say Okay this isn't just madness These guys have a plan Even if it's a weird plan They have a plan And and, and it takes ability and talent They're not just fucking around Mm -hmm. At that point Mm -hmm. Right And and that that is reassuring You know Absolutely Hearing that That's melodic as well it it's is, like, yeah. You know. Smiling off the second track has completely the opposite effect for me. This is creepy. This song. This one made me ab- feel uneasy. Absolute banger, though. <laughs> To me, I think this track sounds like absolute fucking around, and I, I don't, I, I don't see why anybody couldn't just do this one. Honestly, I mean, oh, come on now. The band, I'm sure, don't claim to be geniuses. I just. Fail to see the genius in this bit of music. It just gave me the fear, and just honestly made me feel uneasy. And actually, it's that weird shuffling sound that's quite low in the mix. Just made me feel as though something was about to jump on my back. <laughs> you know? like, I can't see it. But it's fucking. It's behind me. What a reaction. You know I mean, and it's like it sounds like spiders.
It sounds like spiders creeping around. <laughs> it's, it's great. Yeah. It's great. Though. This it's, is like Mark, yeah, Mark describing Jacob's ladders. They're <laughs> <laughs> in my eyes. Fuck. Um, uh, no, but then it's kind of got some vocalizations around 340, which also doubled down on that intense fear that it gave me. Yeah, it's it's dense and but it's really intriguing and yeah, it, it kind of made me go, I should listen to that again, but I don't know if I want to because <laughs> it's just making me feel like something's going to jump on me. <laughs> yeah, but but you will though. I probably will. Yeah, uh-huh. I, I, I did on the way over in the car. So yeah, after I wrote yeah. these notes, so. um, heavy manners, the third track. Super trippy, weird little stoner thing. I, again, talking about that album earlier on, Creature Comforts is woozy, it's seasick. It's more th- mellow though than the last couple. Of it things. is. I think. I think this this tune could be described as demonstrating mm-hmm. a mastery of restraint. But musically, I just I got very little from it. I, I appreciated it, but I didn't get. I can't say I enjoyed it. I like the what there's a warped guitar that, that, that kind of the whole thing is centered around. It's a little bit of a key, which actually I really quite liked. And it, just, it felt druggy and quite grotty and mm-hmm. dirty, especially mm-hmm. that vocal sample. I was just appreciating the tone more than anything else, like the feeling that it gave me, um, which was not necessarily a nice feeling, but I appreciated the fact you could do it, you know. Um, the fourth track, ABBA with 1B, ABA. Another extremely understated little track, it's under a minute. It's just one simple ghostly little synth motif and a, a percussive echo, but I have to be honest, I really liked it. I got a lot more out of the under a minute of this tune than I got from the previous two songs. Do you oh, know, for real? Huh? Yeah. Do you know what that, that, that motif sounds like? It sounds like the thing on Skype when somebody's trying to phone you. <laughs> 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 oh, shit. <laughs> I mean, that, that's like a Brian Eno situation, is it not? Yeah. With the windows, kind of. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. It's like... I mean, uh, not, I'm not saying it's a bad thing, it just sort of reminded me of or it almost like Morse code, maybe, as well. Like, it had that... Maybe maybe that's, maybe it was ABA in Morse code. I don't know. Who knows? That would that would mean that real thought was put in Oh, there, yeah. that's... Yeah, that's interesting. Maybe. I don't have them. Ask him. They're going to be listening to this anyway. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. Of course they are. It's, this is like the code name is Milo yeah. thing all over yeah. again, where yeah. they, they got in touch with us, and then I realised that I'd fucking trash the rocking record and I was like oh no yeah but you're not trashing Black Dice no though, no, I'm not, so I'm not. but you know you never really know how fuck will react that's true Biffy Clyro <laughs> Biffy Clyro <laughs> that's very fucking different though <laughs> um, Street did the fifth track There's some etchy percussion in this. That's how the percussion makes itchy. me feel. Itchy, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. And it collides with itself. It's like the, the percussion's happening, but it's tripping over its own feet. I, I mean, I like that. And the gated synth, that, the sequence that comes in, they, it works with that to really good effect.
just slightly out You know If you imagine it Like a deck of cards You've not done that thing Where you tap them on the table And they all line up They're Love ve- that Do you know what I mean They're very slightly Out at the mm. edges But I quite like that Yeah it's annoying um, isn't it <laughs> <laughs> It branches off Into this blossoming synth drone And then slides back Into the percussion again I think Even though it is Quite avant-garde There's definitely A purpose and identity to it um, I can appreciate it On a textural level And I enjoy that Absurd collage That it engages in um, And I think actually Weirdly In a lot of ways this track sounds the way the cover of the album looks. Do you uh, know what I mean? Yeah. That absurd collage thing mm. that they do. Yeah. I think it's quite like done an MS Paint sort of thing. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. I did notice though that uh, the vocal thing that draws in at the end of this tune sounds a little bit like the Happy Mondays if they did even more drugs. <laughs> that, assuming that's possible. Well, you need to like you need to look at Acceptor then if we're going down that that route. I like the, I like the push and pull of the song. Keep coming back to that main melody and dropping in and out. I think it was pretty cool. Um, it almost tends to be danceable at times. And, and towards the end, it sounds like another song's trying to break through, like almost as if it's coming through a radio or something. Oh yeah, do, yeah, do you know yeah. What I mean? yeah. When you're like tuning between, you can hear it. Yeah, yeah. Which which I thought was pretty clever. Like they're trolling themselves to a degree. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the sixth track, twins. Hopefully named after that classic Schwarzenegger picture. Yeah. Well, um, maybe this one's pretty, so. It's pretty far out. This one, like strange, indecipherable little loops of voices or squeaks that wash back and forth over this. Kind it's of like backwards whale song. It's really, yeah, it's really odd. And there's this minimalist clap percussion pattern underneath it. Really oddball, and I, I didn't find it very satisfying. I like the fact that you say it's like backwards whale song. Yeah. Like you'd know the difference between backwards or forwards <laughs> whale true. song. That's true. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've listened to a lot, a lot of good. I didn't realise you were such a marine biologist. I know. That song gave me a headache, so it could be that maybe the COVID was starting to take me. Probably probably all the salt water. He's got a very trained ear. Uh, motorcycle seventh track final track uh, lots of guitar and lots of guitar and drums live yeah, drums as well weirdly asynchronous percussion on it sounds kind of silly in a kind of playful way it's quite tribal feeling isn't it I, I, I have to say I find this track very throwaway. I, I felt like there was a kind of Emperor's New Clothes thing happening with this one. Sonically, it's not harsh, uh, and it, it's quite amusing in its goofiness. Um, it's hard to hate it. Uh, it's got a lot of Afrobeat. It's hard to hate it. It's hard to hate it, but it's, it's hard- like you're trying to hate it. Not- <laughs> <laughs> It's hard to hate it, but it's hard to like it. Mm. <laughs> well, um, which is better? I don't, I'm not sure. Um, I think the best bit actually in the whole track is the percussive loop that 
it, it starts about four minutes thirty. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh-huh. It becomes uh, like a percussion almost into itself yeah, on top of the actual I think, beat. I yeah. think that for me is easily the best part of that tune. Um, but by that point, I was like four and a half minutes of fed up. So <laughs> it didn't work for me that one. I do like the Afrobeat flavour. I love a lot of that kind of stuff. But that just, I just, nah, it just felt too throwaway. Yeah. I, I guess, like, in conclusion on it, there were like, I'd say three moments in this record that I really liked. And given that it's a really challenging record, that's actually quite a good yield, <laughs> I think. No, I mean that. Like, it's, it's for, you, not, for you, it is, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> I, but there were other moments on it where I was very unsatisfied and crossing over into even kind of irritated the thing is I don't think that's because they're just not any good at anything I think they've established that they're really good and so it just sort of suggests to me that their idea of good and my idea of good don't align rather than it being me suggesting that they're just shit as I would with isn't I that all music <laughs> yeah it's a lot of music <laughs> uh, yeah to be fair but yeah so I'm not I'm not trying to impugn their Credentials here, mm-hmm. like I, I think they're very talented. I think they've established that. I just don't agree with at least fifty percent of the creative decisions they make. So for me, I would struggle to really say I'm a Black Dice fan. Mm-hmm. I could, I could probably imagine putting together a nice wee playlist from across what I've heard here, including some of the tracks I picked out. Um, but it, it doesn't blow my mind at all. Mm. Well, that's a shame for you. <laughs> it is a shame for me, actually. It is, you know, because you know when someone gets something. I feel like I'm missing out, but uh, yeah, I'm just. I feel like you are. I'm not seeing it. No, well, bollocks to you then. I cannot. <laughs> <laughs> so I did. I listened to this record first. Like I don't usually. Like I'm. Like I said, it was, it was unusual for me to do that. And I wrote. I wrote my conclusion based on that, which was silly because I now need to write it on the fly because I've spent more time with the music. Um, originally, I was saying that I don't really think the music is 100 percent for me, but. After spending some time in Beasts and Canyons, I think that's probably changed, to be honest. There's aspects about it I like. I like the commitment to following through the idea, for better and for worse. Like, sometimes it just doesn't pay off. And Chris, you've just given some great examples of that. I like the propulsive nature of it. Like, I can see why you would try to make an album that's more percussive. This has definitely got that forward beat, forward push to it, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like, the way they, I like the way they create soundscapes specifically. Everybody can create a soundscape, but I like the way they do it quite nicely. But I found this harder to connect with than some of the other, other some of the other stuff. I actually enjoyed this more as an intellectual exercise, like trying to solve a problem, mm-hmm. you know, because I didn't understand it at first. Yeah, that's nice though. So right? I did appreciate that. I never quite got there on the end of this record, but I had originally written that I tried to engage with it, but that's not right. I did engage with it, and that's the thing that kind of made me go, you know what, I'm okay with that. Just by um, the very process, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. And the last thing it made me think is, I didn't enjoy the album as a whole, but I bet it's a fucking hell of a lot of fun to play live. Yeah. Which what is what it's all about. I've seen yeah. some videos of the li- <laughs> yeah. their live shows. Um, Madness. Have you seen them live? Me? Yeah. Plenty of times. Yeah. yeah. Big, big fan? Yeah. Brilliant. So loud. <laughs> so loud. Like crushingly loud. And, and especially up at the high end, you know? Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, can I, that's okay. having an extreme high end is something that's definitely lost, you know, when you're listening to it through yeah. headphones or whatever. Well, it's something yeah. that you do as well, Ben. That's a big part of your music is, is really utilising those areas, the sound that a lot of artists don't. Yeah, man. Volume over talent every day. <laughs> <laughs> uh, cool. Well, it, hey, man, I mean, thanks for suggesting it. It's, it. It was an undertaking and I 
I definitely benefited from from the exercise, and I'm glad that there was stuff within their catalogue that I liked, and that you know when I want something when I am that way when I'm scunnered that fucking classic Scottish word when I'm totally scunnered with music and I really want something that just doesn't fucking fall into a box then I think I would listen to them again but I think I'd be very selective in listening to them I don't think they've ever done a record that I could say I, I agree with even half of it but that's fuck it that's that's still good that's still really good I couldn't say that about many bands really mm-hmm. in, in the big scheme of things so yeah it was cool I appreciate it yeah, Good. thanks for bringing it in. Like I said, I enjoyed the intellectual exercise of having to solve a problem that was created for me by somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> How do you open this box? <laughs> Sarah Jane Ben's all about creating problems, isn't he? Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, doke. Uh, ben, uh, as we told you at the last moment, uh, Nexus. Nexus. complicated series of connections between different things. This was a nice easy one, wasn't it? It's not the hardest one I've had, but it wasn't, it wasn't you're, exactly you're, easy. You're, you're a fucker for this one. So, uh, Floella Benjamin, courtesy of Catalyze, I mm-hmm. believe. Yep. Floella Benjamin. Floella Benjamin. Um, sort of Trinidadian British host of TV shows like Play School and mm-hmm. Fast Forward, and now a, a liberal Life democrat peer, Baroness Life. Benjamin, uh, part of that ancient outdated fucking system house of lords lords she's a dame our betters she's a dame um but yeah a very cheery woman that was always my recollection there she had a big fucking smile Mm. and when you were a kid like floyla benjamin was always like bounding about being really upbeat about everything that she did i bet the house of lords has crowned her right over (laughs) 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 uh yeah ben uh you brought us to the table so you go first oh yeah okay well i actually Sarah Jane actually was very instrumental in making this happen, by the way. It's good that you've given her a writing credit. Well, of course. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so if I get it wrong. Yeah. Okay. Floyla Benjamin. Recurring character in the Sarah Jane Adventures Doctor Who spin-off. Yes. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Peter Capaldi, the 12th Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. And Swearmaster. Swearmaster. Swearmaster, yeah, yeah. The Twelfth tw- Doctor Who. So then Peter Capaldi was also in The Lair of the White Worm. Oh, yeah, yeah. The film The, the Lair of the White Worm. And Amanda Donoghue is the uh, antagonist in the film. Oh, my goodness. I don't know where you're going. <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not going to Russell. <laughs> you know, I'm not... <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I thought you were going to use Techno Werewolf. <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, this would be the the time to drop it, wouldn't it? So Amanda Donoghue plays um, Toast of London's ex-wife in yeah. the show yeah. Toast of London. What's the cat? Oh, I can't. I, I love that show, but who, who the fuck does she play again? What does she look like? His ex-wife. Yeah, but what? 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 what why is she mental? So just Google Amanda Donahue then. I'm trying to try to remember why she's so good in that. I just uh, this this podcast does not get sponsored by Google. There are other search engines. <laughs> yeah. In the same show, Toast of London, the Toast of Los Angeles, Fred Armisen is yeah. Matt Berry's roommate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Flatmate. Yeah. Never leave the house. Yeah. <laughs> Fred Armisen is one of the leads in the the show Portlandia. Uh-huh. Chloe Savigny is. A, a guest star and roommate of Fred Armiston 
and Kerry Brownstein in Portlandia. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Chloe Savigny is the lead in one of Danny Perez's films, Anti-Birth. And Danny Perez is the live visual artist for Black Dice. Oh, wow. That uh, was a very... very cool. it, it was backwards. We went, was we went around the fucking houses, <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, Sarah Jane, yeah. thank you for that. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> she, Good work. She yeah. did this in the car today, uh, essentially. <laughs> that's two weeks in a row we've had a, a Doctor Who reference. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Really weird. Do you want to go next? Yeah. Uh, so Black Dice have released music on Fat Cat Records. Um, fellow artist in that label... Uh, it's Honeyblood, the Glaswegian singer, songwriter, Stina. Stina, Tweedale. Yeah. Um, in 2019, she signed to Marathon Artists, where she released her third album in plain sight. Marathon Artists actually have an, now have an imprint called Mahogany Records, which was created off the back of their long-running Mahogany Sessions YouTube channel. Um, loads of artists have had sessions with them, including Laura Marling. Laura Marling released her album... Song for our daughter on the exact same day the Strokes released the new Abnormal, which was their last record. Oh, yeah. Um, the guitar player for the Strokes is Albert Hammond Jr. Mm-hmm. Um, his father is Albert Hammond Sr. Um, he wrote the song Don't Turn Around, which was written for Tina Turner, but was also covered by Aswad and Ace of Bass. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. And TV presenter Kim Goody. Kim Goody was a presenter on Playway, as was Floyd Benjamin. There we go. Wow, that is a good one. Mm-hmm. That is a nice, good one. Nice yeah. ending, yeah, yeah. Uh, Black Dice. Uh, so Aaron Warren recounts when he lived in Los Angeles, I remember seeing Mersbo and stuff when he was just doing all pedals, and that was the first time I had ever seen a performance with no guitars, no keyboards, no anything. When I saw Masona, he just had a coin purse, a microphone, and stacks behind him. That was a revolutionary musical experience for me, but I still played guitar for five years after that and sang, and it never occurred to me that that was something I was going to do. Masona is the stage name of the Japanese experimental noise musician Maso Yamazaki. Uh, his name was a play on Maso, masochist, and Honor, woman in Japanese, and also a reference to Madonna. Mm-hmm. Uh, Madonna and David Bowie were both supposedly turned down by the producer Goldie for producing a track. Oh, yeah, that's um, interesting. In her case, it was for the Real Light album. Um, Goldie was like, there's no fucking way that if I do any jungle stuff, it's going to get on there. And uh, in Bowie's case, it was for the drum and bass industrial weird pop album Earthling. Um, although I think Goldie did eventually work on a track with Bowie on a different occasion, and they were in a film together. Oh, nice. <laughs> I can't remember the name of it now, but it's, it's not great. Um at a 1973 uh, New Year's party, I think it was, at David Bowie's house in London, which was also attended by Mark Bolin, Cat Stevens and Mick Jagger, David Bowie was knocked back after a sexy proposition to Floella Benjamin. <laughs> um, Floella <laughs> Benjamin 
she 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 wrote about it in her autobiography. Uh, her, her book was called "What Are You Doing Here?" Um, and she said that uh, Bowie's ex-wife Angie had watched her quote float into the room before announcing, "Well, now I've seen my New Year's present," which is just the most ick fucking thing to to say to someone. Uh, but but uh, Flora Benjamin added that she felt vulnerable and that that kind of situation wasn't her scene. Um, she says that Bowie approached her and asked her, "Would you like to come upstairs with me? I want to offer you the world. You can have." Anything you desire, <laughs> and she was like, "No, <laughs> fuck off, if you like." Wow, wow, good stuff, eh? <laughs> I didn't see that coming. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, doc. Uh, well, I don't actually know what we're going to do next week, but we do need a nexus for it. So we I do. think, Sarah Jane, you uh, have been essential to this process. Would you care to pick the nexus out the tub for us, please? If we turn that microphone round to you. Yeah, but I've already read all of them. <laughs> <laughs> but I folded them back up neatly, though, so it's still a surprise. Okay. Oh, geez. Sadek Sean Sean Lee C E L I C. It's really poorly written. Who's ever Uh-oh. written? <laughs> That'll be me. Is that right? Sean Lee? Oh, Chick Charnley. Chick, okay, so it's C-H-I-C. Chick Charnley. Wow. You should put a picture of this up. That definitely looks like an E and an L. <laughs> Chick Charnley, and it's uh, suggested by Kenny Boella. Him again? Kenny Bonella, that's like the third time in five weeks he's... We, we need to ban him. Well yeah. done, Kenny. Well uh, done. Chick Charnley, Chick Charnley is a football player yeah. uh, who he played for Partick Thistle. A pundit as well, right? Aye, a pundit as well, mm-hmm. but apparently, um, apocryphally, a bunch of wee guys turned up at the, the training park with uh, machetes and threatening them and he just literally ran at them and they all fucking ran away. Um, an absolute... What, 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 an, what an endearing story, Chris. Yeah, it's, it's going to get better. He's got a lot... Uh, there's a lot of stories about this guy. So, um, yep, that'll be a fun one. So we can get him on the show. <laughs> <laughs> for, you think he likes black for dice? A, for a four-pack, maybe. <laughs> four tins. Um, <laughs> black dice sounds right up his street. Yeah, totally. Okie doke. Well... Uh, ben, thanks so much for all thank your you. efforts and coming through here. Uh, Sarah Jane, thank you for bringing him and also helping him do the Nexus. Aye, uh, we will be back next week, hopefully with something that's in 4-4, uh, guitar-based drums. That's it. I'm not having anything. Yeah. Like, anybody brings any unconventional instruments <laughs> into the conversation, I'm fucking tapping out. Oh, so it's the next Biffy Claro one, is it? Oh! Uh, uh, I was thinking about maybe bringing in a kazoo-led hardcore band. There's probably one there. Mm-hmm. there probably yeah. is, but, but if it doesn't exist, maybe it should exist. <laughs> I've just found how I'm making a million pounds, lads. That's the next Black Dice record. <laughs> probably is. <laughs> See you later.